0: Today's scripture reading is from Luke, first chapter, verses 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: Um, you just heard a scripture reading from, and you're thinking, no, Barbara, that is, um, that's Christmas. We're in Lent. You just read the Song of Mary, but, but I'm right, so it's okay. Stick with me, and this is going to make a lot of sense. As we begin this sermon series, um, I want to take just a few minutes. Um, first of all, thank you for being here. I hope you come every Sunday in Lent, especially online, in person, so we can do this journey together because Lent is this time of a journey that we take where we follow Jesus' footsteps through his ministry, through Holy Week, and ultimately to the cross. And some of you have said, and yes, but what does Lent mean? Why do we have this word Lent? It's just such an odd word. And here's an interesting fact. It comes from this old English word. Lenten. I don't really know how you say it, but you might notice from that that you could get the word lengthen from that. And what this word means in Old English is the lengthening of days. It talks about springtime. So Lent actually means springtime. And now the logical question to ask is how did the early Christians take springtime and come up with six weeks of repentance and focus on making ourselves better people and focusing on jesus journey to the cross how did they take that word springtime and make it lent and that's a very good question and here's what the early christians were trying to do this is the most the most um about the most thoughtful theory the one that makes the most sense is the early christians were pushing against the pagan festival of the rite of spring and when i say pagan You probably have certain thoughts around that. And at the rite of spring, the pagans did all sorts of things that I can't talk about in church. And so the early Christians said, what can we do to take focus off of the pagan festival? And so they put Lent in there. And Lent, the season of Lent, is this time that they called at that time a bright sadness. Can you say that? A bright sadness sadness, which is just such a great way to put it. And they say that because what you're doing is you're following Jesus through this journey, through Holy Week, through Good Friday, death on the cross, all the sadness, but then it's the resurrection. And that's the bright part. See, we know the end of the story. So we walk through this Lent with this time of a bright sadness, and that's what's happening. Well, part of what you do during the season of Lent is you study more. You, you go deeper in your faith. You work really hard on that. And at Flores and Restoration, we're studying um, Adam Hamilton's book, um, Jesus, Luke, Jesus and the Outsiders, Outcasts, and Outlaws. Along with that, we are reading the Gospel of Luke. All of his book is on the Gospel of Luke. We'll be reading the Gospel of Luke during Lent. The really interesting thing about Luke... The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke is written with particular attention to people who are ordinary. Look around you. they are ordinary people sitting here. I'm ordinary. we're, We're just everyday people. And that's who Luke focuses on. People who don't have it all together. People who aren't perfect. People who sometimes make mistakes. People who often don't feel like they're on the inside of things. They feel like they're looking to the inside. So that's what we're doing. That's the season of Lent. It means bright sadness. We're walking all the way through. We're studying this book and the Gospel of Luke. And with all of that information, let's pray. Holy and gracious God, it is good to be here. It is Lent and there is is much sadness in our community. And there is hope because we gather here as a church and we do know the end of the story. And so, for that, we give you thanks. And now, gracious God, I pray for your blessing on these words that they might be yours because you are powerful and you have something to say that we need to hear. And so, I pray that in the name of Christ. Amen. So, my first question to you today is Have you ever felt like an outsider? Have you ever felt like someone who's looking in and can't quite get inside? And 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 maybe you were picked last for dodgeball. Maybe you um, speak a different language, and sometimes you just feel like you can't understand what's going on, so you feel like an outsider. Maybe maybe you didn't get the party invitation that everybody else did, or maybe. Maybe in seventh grade you auditioned for the school play and you didn't get the part but Amy Kissler got the part and we don't know why she got the part. Probably she got the part because she was cuter than you were and she really didn't do a better job and, and you had to wear those awful cat glasses that were out of style but your parents weren't going to get you new glasses and so you were definitely an outsider. Maybe you've had that experience in your life. <laughs> Still traumatic. <laughs> Outsiders feel like they're not home. They feel like they're always looking to get inside. And they are, there's like a barrier that they can't go across. Outsiders often don't feel safe. They don't feel like they belong. They don't feel like there is a place for them. Today we're going to talk about what does it mean to be an outsider and what does it mean to invite outsiders in. There is a lot in our society right now that points to people feeling like outsiders. I hope you have read the latest CDC report on teen mental health. This came out last week, and it's disturbing across the board. It is particularly disturbing for girls. Here's a chart that you can take a look at. This is um, from 2011 to 2021. Girls and boys both went up, but girls who feel persistently sad or hopeless increased by this much. Look, this is 2021. Look at that. That is a huge increase. What's happening? Why is that happening in our lives? Now, there's a lot of reasons. There's COVID was certainly a part of that. Social media is a part of that. The pressure to achieve, the pressure to do better, the pressure to be um, somebody that you're not. But the thing that's consistent across all of it is they feel outside. They feel outside of the world and they're trying to look into it. They feel like they don't belong. They feel like they're not at home. They don't feel safe. There's a quote from... um, Dr., I can't say her name, Kathleen Eiler. Kathleen Eiler. Listen to this. Young people are experiencing a level of distress that calls on us to act with urgency and compassion. Urgency and compassion. We are called to act with urgency and compassion. And when I read that in that study this week, I thought, Why does that resonate so deeply with me? That feels familiar. It feels like something that I've been thinking about and I realize it's because I'm reading the book of Luke. All through the book of Luke, you see Jesus acting with urgency and compassion. Even before Christ is born, you see God acting with urgency and compassion. And so I want us to take a look at how that happens in the book of Luke and what does that that mean for us? How might we act with urgency and compassion? Well, when you study the book of Luke, what you understand is that all through it, every story is about outsiders in some way. And the first one um, is no exception. It begins with a story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. They are two righteous people. And it says about them, this is Zechariah, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both, what? What? very old. Childless and very old, and that puts them way outside the circles. If you were childless in biblical times, it was thought that you did something wrong, that God had no favor. God was looking at you with disfavor. If that was you, it was a terrible thing. I imagine Elizabeth And she's walking to the well to get water as she would do every single day. She's walking there to get water, and she sees the other women, and they're all doing this. They're like, There's that Elizabeth. I wonder what she did. I wonder why God doesn't favor her. And they would be nice to her face, and they would accept her. Her husband was, in fact, a priest, and they would accept her for that. But she knew she wasn't a part of the circle, she was an outsider. Her husband, Zachariah, it would have been a little bit less for him, but even so, he's a priest. He goes to the temple to pray, and the other priests are, are thinking, how could he marry Elizabeth who has no favor with God? And this old, very old, childless couple feels like outsiders. And you wonder what's going to happen to them. But God, God doesn't see very old. God sees worth and vitality and value and hope and a place in the world. And God says to Elizabeth and Zechariah, you are going to have a child. Elizabeth, in your very old age, you are going to have a child. Don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. Because I imagine Elizabeth, when she's really pregnant, and uh, she's walking to get water from the well, and she's waddling, because that's what we do when we're very pregnant, and you water and you, you get to the well, and you're taking water, and she's glorying in it, because she is no longer an outsider. Because no longer can anyone say, "You have not found favor with God. you are, in fact, highly favored by God." And Elizabeth, Elizabeth, knows she's an insider. And Zechariah knows she's an insider and God uses these people and, and Elizabeth gives birth to John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the person who prepares the way of the Lord, who makes the way for Jesus, for the Christ. And he teaches and he tells people who Jesus is. He is an extremely important figure in the Bible and that's who Elizabeth and Zechariah have. The next story in the Bible is also about an outsider. It's about someone we know quite well if if you have been a Christian for a while. It is about Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary grew up as an outsider. She lived in this society of the Roman government where the Roman was oppressing her people. Mary was oppressing the Jews. Uh, Mary wasn't. The Romans were oppressing the Jewish people. They levied taxes against them, which were completely unfair, which means that they were often hungry. The Jewish people were hungry. They didn't have enough to eat, they didn't have enough um, of any wealth to have a living that was anything above subsistence living. Mary knew what it was to be oppressed and outside, and she knew what it was to feel lowly, less than. And it's Mary, this young girl, this young girl who, who is nothing. If a Roman would have walked by her on the street, he wouldn't have even seen her. She would have been like an aunt. Never would think that this young girl could be inside. And yet an angel comes to Mary, and an angel says to Mary, you are going to bear the Christ child. And Mary, Mary, if I were Mary, I'm pretty sure I would have run screaming from the room because an angel appears, tells me I'm going to have a child. And yet this lowly, lowly young girl doesn't run away. Instead, she gathers her courage and she understands something she didn't know before. She is an insider and she says these, she says these words, read these with me. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. The mighty one has done these great things for me. Mary becomes a powerful voice in human history. Mary, who people would have looked at and said was an outsider, was not, in fact, an outsider. And and it just echoes through history. Mary's song is one of the most famous pieces of scripture. You heard Jeff read it today. Lois Malcolm is a professor at Luther Seminary, and she grew up in the Philippines. And as she was growing up in the Philippines, she lived among the poorest of the poor. And she was there. She remembers as a child when her parents would read the Song of Mary to these poorest of the poor people. These people who thought, I will never be an insider. These people who thought, I am lowly and I am nothing. And that is the way that it is supposed to be because that's what society has told me my entire life. And then they read these words to them. And for the first time, they hear about this God who sees the oppressed and the hungry and the lowly, this God who looks at those who feel outside and lifts them up so that they might be inside. These poorest of poor people used to think, because we are poor, We are nothing. You can replace the word poor with so many things. You can say, because we are very young, we are nothing. Because we are very old, we are nothing. Because we are black or brown or gay or straight or differently abled or without a home, we are nothing. We will never be insiders. There are people sitting around you today, people who you will meet all during the week who feel that way. They feel that they are nothing. Imagine if that is your narrative all your life, and then someone says to you, he has performed mighty deeds with his arms, he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, he has lifted up the humble... This song of Mary has come through generation after generation after generation, and it still is said with urgency and compassion because we are called to say those words to the people who feel outside. And sometimes that's ourselves. Mary's song is the initial trumpet call that signaled this world-transforming event of Jesus' birth. Mary was saying, Christ has come to challenge the structures of sin and death and evil and oppression. Christ has come to lift up the lowly. To free the enslaved, to feed the hungry, to give justice to the widow and to the orphan. Jesus has come to lead the outsiders in. And Jesus has come to say to us, friends... You should be reaching for the outsiders and for Jesus so that together you might be inside. I told you about this young woman in our church. Um, Her name is Christine, and she agreed to share her testimony. It's about um, four and a half minutes, and I want you to watch this testimony and just listen for her experience and how it might relate to yours. Listen to this.
2: But more significantly than that, something was happening to me in secret. Someone was hurting me in a way that I didn't understand. I didn't have the words to express what was happening to me. No one had ever taught me that someone might touch me in a way that I didn't understand. No one explained to me that when someone touches you that way and tells you never to tell another living person, it builds a sense of shame in your soul. A sense of shame that, like a thick fog, begins to seep into every part of your life. It muffles your senses, scrambles your thoughts, and makes you lose your voice. You stop being able to connect with the world around you. The sense of isolation, of being invisible in the world, and silently withering away, was in some ways the most painful part of that whole experience. I thought perhaps that if I was better, stronger, more perfect, I might be seen. But no matter how hard I worked, no one seemed to notice. I began to feel that insignificance and inadequacy was my identity. For a long time, I thought that God saw me that way too. I saw the Bible and church as another place where I had to strive to measure up, to win the attention of the cosmic God, whose standards were infinitely higher than anyone around me. It became one more place where I felt invisible and inadequate, emptied of identity and worth. Until, until I read a book that changed my life. This book was called The Jesus I Never Knew by the amazing author Philip Yancey, who is something of a hero to me. In those pages I met someone new, the Jesus not of purity culture, not of religion, not of a church that pounds you to dust with rules and regulations and expectations, this was the Jesus of the Gospels. This was the Jesus who turned around when a suffering woman could only muster the courage to touch his cloak, who stopped everything he was doing, who did not let her slip away unnoticed, but saw her, spoke to her, called her daughter. This was the Jesus who said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and I will provide rest for your souls. Do you hear it? Lowly. Jesus didn't just see the silent ones on the fringes, the ones suffering and unseen. He identified with them. And the only time in the Bible that he describes his own heart, he calls himself lowly. He unites himself with the ones who spend their lives powerless and on the sidelines. This is the Jesus who saved my life. He saw me in my silence and pain. He held me and he gave me the courage to speak. Every day as I have healed from the trauma of my childhood, he has walked with me. I am no longer unseen. For me, the one who introduced me to this Jesus, who made me feel seen, was an author. But there are so many out there who are voiceless. The abused children, the unhoused, those with differing abilities, the minorities, the elderly, the lonely, The non-English speakers in a country where they aren't understood, who continue to be unseen and uncared for, who feel defined by being invisible and inadequate. They need your love, your attention, your care. They need to be introduced to a Savior who sees them. That introduction can come from you, from an act of love, through witnessing their pain, providing for their needs. Through you they can experience Jesus. So whatever community it is that stirs your heart, whoever it is in your life that is unseen, go and see them, witness them, lift them up,
1: and introduce them to our Jesus. What a powerful testimony. Here's what Christine understands. The message that Jesus brings is God's love is the inside, not inside as in a sense of exclusive or um, set apart from from all people, but inside as in safe and comforting and welcoming. It is the true inside and God is always calling us in. There is a word for this in Methodism and it's called provenient grace and this is this grace that that God has for every person and it means that God is always calling you. God is always beckoning to you even before you know who God is or what that is. God is calling you to come in. This is what Christine was challenging us to do. Reach out to those who might not know who Jesus is, who might feel lost and alone and on the outside. Reach out to them and draw them inside. It doesn't have to be inside like here in the sanctuary, but inside of God's love, inside of the beauty of what it means to be safe and cared for and seen. Jesus came to help outsiders find hope. In the entirety of Luke's gospel, we see Jesus acting through God and with God with urgency and compassion. And in the entirety of Luke's gospel, Jesus is urging us to act with urgency and compassion. Let's take a look at that whole slide, Alexis. You heard Christine name all these ways that people are feeling outside. And we put together just a few. And what I want you to see is You reach out to help people understand the love of Jesus. And then when you understand the love of Jesus, you reach out so that other people can understand the love of Jesus. The circle is always big enough. The inside is always big enough. Everyone is actually on the inside. They just don't know it because they don't know they are loved and cared for and chosen. They are seen. They are enough. I am certain that you could put more words up there. I am certain that you have other ways that either you felt like an outsider or you've seen other people who feel outside. What my challenge to you is today is very simple. Look for those who feel outside. Have conversations with people you might not have a conversation with and find out where they're at. You can tell pretty quickly if someone is feeling lost and alone and unseen. And see them. Look at them in the eye. Have a real conversation where you listen to them. Maybe it'll be in the grocery store and maybe it'll be at school and maybe it'll be in your own home. And maybe you are someone that you long for someone to look at you and say, I see you. That is what we are called to do as Christians. That's what we are called to do this season of Lent. And my, my call is to work with urgency and compassion as you do this. Do you remember that chart about teenage girls? There is urgency in the world to help people feel seen. We have a crisis, especially among teenagers, of feeling unseen. And that's a dangerous place for them to be. When do you see people who feel outside? Some of you did it this week. Some of you helped with a guest house. And you welcomed people who could feel like complete outsiders and yet they were welcomed and cared for and treated with great respect. But it's more than a week at the guest house. It's every day of our lives. It's how we are called to be. It's what the Gospel of Luke teaches us to do. So this week and all during Lent... Put on those lenses of urgency and compassion. And when you see people, really see them and invite them. You might invite them to come to worship. You might invite them out for a cup of coffee in a conversation. You might invite them to go first in the grocery line. There are all different ways that you can invite people. As I said, we are doing little service projects all um, during Lent and and today is one that is really for you all to get to know one another and that's after the worship service you're going to go out into the right to the table where the young adults are and you're going to find out a job that you can do that's going to take 20 minutes and you're going to clean up some of the space outside the church when you do that talk with the people that you're working with have conversations and find out who they are so that you can go into the world and talk with other people and then in the coming weeks, there'll be different ones we're going to reach out to different areas where we might um, help see people. I wonder if you would bow your heads and let's finish this message time with a word of prayer. Holy and gracious God, you call us to see people, to see all people. You call us to recognize that we are loved and cherished and chosen. I pray that you help us inhabit that message so that we can go out into the world and see people who feel the same way, they feel outside and not apart, that we might invite them inside, that we might help them understand that God is always present and always loving them and always calling to them. And I pray this for our church and I pray this for our world. And I pray it in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen.